Hey everybody, this is Keith reporting live from the Low Key Podcast. And I'm joined here with Aaron Lanton. Yo, yo, how's it going? And Tim Malloy. Ahoy, hoy. Yeah, so today, today, guys, we got something special for y'all. We're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I feel like there's a lot to unpack with this movie. I, I don't know how you guys completely felt about it, but I think this is a... This is a very interesting movie to be added to Quentin Tarantino's catalog of films or the um, Tarantino-verse. Before we even uh, go further, this is going to be a spoiler cast, everybody. So, you know, we're not going to be talking around the details of the film. If you have not seen it yet, we recommend you go watch it before going further. So with that, I'm jumping straight to the end. And hot damn, um, did not expect that. <laughs> so... I, number one, um, was not really somebody who was familiar with the story of Sharon Tate and what had happened with the Manson murder. Um, so, well, I was eventually in the middle of watching the movie because my wife goes, you know, she get killed, right? And I was like, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm trying to watch the movie. And so what was actually really funny is it, it kind of, I feel like the rest of the audience was kind of was having a different experience than I was. because You're watching all the stuff with Sharon Tate and there's like, the knowledge of what's going to happen, except it doesn't happen. And there was actually this old guy um, after the film who's just, I mean, really gregarious guy, but loud, just crazy reactions throughout the film. And you know, this happened when he said when he was a teenager. And so he's watching it like, I really expected to see the murder, you know, the way it actually happened, you know, in real life. And so to kind of have it play out in a, in a kind of multiverse fashion was uh, kind of trippy to him. So um, there's a lot of takeaways, especially from the great acting and, and just kind of the vibe that the, the movie is able to to present to you about L.A. and all the things we don't think about now that, you know, we consider terrible now, like putting pets in bags and all the smoking and the crazy <laughs> driving, just all kind of things. Right. Uh, but my first takeaway once the film was over was, Oh, everybody was watching a different movie than me because I didn't know that was definitely going to happen or was supposed to. I'm like your opposite because I read Helter Skelter when I was really young. Vincent Bugliosi's book about the Manson murders. Uh, I was pretty obsessed with all this. I listened to Karina Longworth's excellent You Must Remember This podcast about the Manson murders. And I think I consider myself someone who knows a lot about the Manson murders. And so I was like fact checking the movie as we went. Um, and definitely enjoying like everything that he recreated and definitely had mixed up feelings about the end. It was like, I, I was happy that Sharon Tate lived. Then I was kind of bummed out, kind of wondering what the point of all of this was. Was it just like a happy fantasy? I thought sort of, this is the opposite of a horror movie where every time you think something bad is going to happen, something nice happens instead. And I have really three reads on this movie that we can get into at some point. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's interesting too. Like I was the same way as Aaron. I didn't know I did not know anything about the Sharon Tate character. I mean, <laughs> like she's not like she's not a real person. But I didn't know anything about Sharon Tate. So when I see the character in the movie, I felt like she didn't serve a purpose at all. And in a way, I was feeling like the plot kind of failed me in that sense because if you didn't know have that information coming into it it's like she there's no point in having that character in the film at all it's not often that not looking into a film or reading previews about a film or like going deep into like some history about what a film was supposed to depict would actually 
I'm not gonna say it hurts your viewing, but it really, really, really impacts how you see the film. So that's really interesting. You put it that way. Yeah, but that in a way, I think that it kind of fails in a way. Like, I think if a movie can't tell the story and let you understand what the character's purpose in the story without you having to go do extra background checks, it's like it, it, it kind of didn't really. She could have been left out pretty much. Neither of you knew going into this movie that the Manson family killed Sharon Tate. No. Look, you know how it is when you're on the internet. You see and all stuff all the time. Like, did this happen? Did it not? I mean, I don't know. Like, I see all kind of things that are on the internet all the time that like people say is a real thing and is not. All I knew was like some, some, some Sharon Tate. But for me, I always wanted to keep away from the details of this film because I wanted to go in with a fresh experience. But I didn't know it was actually depicting a real thing that happened it's I like mean, i totally knew nothing about this film at all well yeah. we uh, did make you see it for the podcast so there is that <laughs> yeah that... <laughs> there was a lot so thanks of thanks for that a lot of peer pressure on the text messages this week mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's really interesting so did the movie work for you i mean did you think it was good i don't think it's one of his best films i would not i wouldn't watch it again I think on his own, though, it's a pretty decent film for the most part, but more so for aspects of the acting. I think DiCaprio and Brad Pitt probably have some of the, I don't know, they really carry the film. Even Brad Pitt, like me and Aaron was talking about, even though he he didn't really wasn't doing too much in the film, he played that character correctly because there was a part where you like, is this is this guy just cool? Is he like cool hand Luke? Or is this guy like a sociopath? I'm not sure. Yeah. Or is he a combination of both? Yeah. And, and I also like the idea of that because what I what I really liked about how he played Cliff Booth was that Cliff Booth was pretty much the the real life version of the characters that Rick Dalton played. Mm. So if you took those particular characters that people are playing in TV shows and you put them in a real life situation you'd be like, this, this, this person is a fucking sociopath. This first person's a psycho. Like, even if you took James Bond 007 and you knew a person that was like him in real life, you'd just be like, he has no regard for human life whatsoever. I haven't heard that point, and I really like that because, you know, Cliff obviously wants to be Rick and that he wants to be a successful actor, but Rick wants to be Cliff and that he wants to be a badass. Right. That really does, like, explain their friendship a lot more. That is, mm-hmm. I, I think that is the core of the whole movie. I, ha- I have like three different interpretations of it. And the first one is, this is just a story about chance. It's about how it works out for some people and not for other people. And even the ending, like whether Sharon Tate dies or the Manson people go to the wrong house, is just a matter of utter luck, um, at least in the world of this movie. Then the second take I had is that this whole thing is Quentin Tarantino lashing out at kind of social media justice war- warriors. I'm not saying social justice warriors because those are the people who do actual work, but social media justice warriors who are like, just get mad on Twitter. I'm stealing that phrase again from Neil Brennan and basically saying, how dare you criticize film? How dare you criticize my past films? I don't care what you think you deserve to get. uh, May you you die metaphorically like the Manson kids. Can can you speak a little more to that? Because um, I'm I'm curious what you mean. Because I, I think I know what you mean, but but could you give like an example in the film how you feel like that functions? Well, 
Quentin is the guy who is always going back years doing all these things with the characters talking about pop culture and that's his thing for a few years and then everybody starts doing that and everybody starts having their facile Twitter length reads of pop culture and interpreting what everything means and judging everything constantly and I think mm. he's kind of like you guys have taken a thing that I started and ruined it um, and there's, there's a couple of things that I think are nods to past Quentin Tarantino internet um, conflagrations where he first got in trouble on Twitter over the Uma Thurman accident where there's that footage of her driving from behind and Kill Bill. She gets in an accident and people were really mad at him for endangering her. Then yeah, for Kill Bill too. For, yeah. Oh, well, the way that he refers to that in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is he has multiple shots that are very similar to that shot with people just speeding down the hill. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's almost like, fuck you guys, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to do it again. And then the other one is, I mean, he hires Emile Hirsch, who is accused yep. of, of choking a woman at one point. And I feel like that's almost like him very defiantly saying, I'm going to cast whoever I want. You know, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with him on this, but it does feel like he's saying, don't bother me. Art is art. Cinema is cinema. Um, I'm going to do what I want, whatever Twitter thinks. And the last thing is the people who finally do his trick of talking about pop culture, the only people in the movie who do his pop culture trick of interpreting what things really mean are the dumb Manson kids who want to have infamy uh, but aren't doing any work. I mean, they're literally living on a movie ranch, not making movies, uh, yet criticizing the people who are making movies. We see how hard Cliff works. We see how hard Rick works. We see how hard Sharon works. But then these guys are lazy do-nothings, and their, their interpretation, like, you taught us to kill on TV, so we're going to kill you, is like the stupidest, <laughs> most Twitter justification for anything. And then he has them get really violently killed by hardworking Cliff Booth. So I think that was my sort of second day read. He is making a comment on commentators saying, you know, you are not part of this process. Filmmakers are part of this process. And then Dan Cohn, who I work with at The Wrap, said that he thinks that everything that happens at the end with the Manson family and Cliff Booth uh, is a hallucination by Cliff Booth and kind of a fantasy by Cliff after he smokes the LSD-laced cigarette. And that's so mind-blowing, I think I have to go see the whole movie again. That was kind of how I read it, actually, when it happened, because it's so fanatical and just out there. Now, again, you know, uh, this is coming from the mind of, of a creative who also did Django, yeah. where there was, like, anime-level blood coming out of people getting shot on the ground who already did. So, you know, um, anything could be present in these movies that you can kind of buy, but I do feel like that's a possibility. Um even without that kind of reading, I, I still think it's a fascinating uh, way to go about interpreting the world, uh, letting uh, Rick Dalton use his flamethrower. And there was like, literally, I was like, you know what? I don't know how it's coming back, but the camera did not just pan over to that flamethrower when uh when Cliff Booth is going to go fix that that satellite just for no reason. This is coming <laughs> back up. So uh you know you know I I appreciated that that not to check off the gun again. It was pretty funny. Yeah, but uh the gun. Yeah that was that was goofy. But um yeah I mean it's it's a fascinating scene. Um I really you know, I feel like there's so much potentially to talk about. I mean, and even though I do think your reading of, of how the Manson kids are portrayed is 
definitely one way to read it. I did still find it genuinely creepy um, that, and I, I wish I, they didn't name this character, I don't believe, but when they're in the car and uh, one of the, the women, the, the Asian woman is sitting there talking about, like, we're going to, you know, kill the people who taught us to kill. Um, you know, I mean, that seems like Tarantino even kind of like, you know, whether you think it's like him saying Twitter commentators or whatever, I mean, that's still like a creepy thought because I know in the premiere, you have to be sitting there with people who are doing Hollywood films and the culture of Hollywood, at least as far as the violence, has not really changed very much. There's still a lot of violence in many of these films. And so one of the things, even though, Keith, you spoke to how you feel like it, there are ways that it fails, I think there are a lot of ways that this movie does succeed. And a lot of that actually is going to be really in how you feel about and, and, and if you've been around very much creatives who do things in theater and in film and, and the way that actors uh, interpret things and the way wardrobe, I, I thought it was really fun the way he kind of, you know, kind of <laughs> allow wardrobe to kind of have a piece and how like they kind of just follow what the director says, so to speak. And then they dress them up however, you know, they supposed to do. And, and you know, uh, Rick Dalton's like, oh, I guess I gotta put on a stupid mustache. I gotta put on anyone dress me up like a hippie and this and that. And it's, you know, it's goofy and it's fun. And he had the young girl who's like getting the best out of Rick, you know, um, who's like asking him what he's reading and he's kind of talking through the book and he's really like, shit, this is actually me. Like, I didn't even <laughs> realize like this book had this kind of meaning to me. And then he he churns out something after like really blowing his lines and he's going through all that. I mean, a lot of those things work for me. I mean, it, it's not really a plot driven movie. It's a character driven movie. But but I do think that this movie doesn't hit the special heights that some of his other movies do. But I think there's a lot to appreciate. And I, I still think it, it's, you know, at the very least in, in the middle of the quality of his films. There's so much surrounding as, as far as the acting and, and, and just the diff- feel of LA, particularly for that time that just feels so on point, particularly with with the, you know, way that they set up Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. And the sparseness of the LA highways that I'm sure a lot of people were marveling at who are from the city now. Yeah. Um, that was like that, really that was out. like that was like pornography. I mean because <laughs> I, I saw the movie in Hollywood. I like that this movie, especially in 2019, is a movie that you can just discuss endlessly. And I think a lot of his movies are like that. You can read it a lot of different ways. He does a podcast with Amy Nicholson. Quentin Tarantino and Amy Nicholson are doing a podcast mm-hmm. now, uh, just three interviews. And the very first film that they talk about is called Point Blank. And one of the things about Point Blank, this 1967 movie, is that it might all be a fantasy in the mind of a guy who is dead. And once upon a time in Hollywood, I feel like I'm wondering if that choice was deliberate. She chose it, but I'm wondering if they decided to focus on that one as sort of a tip of the hat to us that this might be going on largely in someone's head. I mean, the end might be in Cliff Booth's head. The Bruce Lee scene may just be his interpretation of events and not how Quentin actually intends to portray Bruce Lee. I don't know. That's obviously a subject of some debate. Um, Right. And it's... It's just really interesting to me how much you can pick this movie apart and discuss it and change your mind about it, which I think is really special now at a time when stuff comes out and it's sort of disposable. I mean, the second Spider-Man movie was great, but I couldn't really tell you the plot points now a couple of weeks later. Right. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, I don't, given the fact 
that we know the the end does not depict real events. I don't know that we're supposed to take anything that happens as particularly reliable right. or even like meant to depict reality. Yeah. And and that maybe it's meant to depict a particular sort of uh, mindset or framework for somebody who wants to revisit it as like a white male fantasy of that time. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm watching it as a white male who's like not Tarantino's age, but like grew up with Tarantino's stuff. Like, I feel like I kind of am the target for this. I mean, look, I, the movie overall was fine to me. Uh, there are no look. Hold, on, let me think about it. Keith, let me ask you: um, Did you? How many black people are in this film? In this movie? Yeah, I, I, I don't remember seeing anybody. I'm trying to think about it. Um, they aren't really. I mean, now as far as minorities, there's Bruce Lee. I mean, and and which there's is there? another Asian person somewhere in there. In, 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 the, in the movie, in the depiction with Sharon Tate, so there's an Asian woman there, and then I think there's another Asian person somewhere in here. Yep, maybe. Considering maybe. the fact that um, Tarantino does usually have black people in his films. Um, this is probably the first one. And then there was also a point in time, I don't know what it was, where I forgot that it was a Tarantino movie because I'm expecting there to be a little bit more violence. And, you know, after, especially after seeing, like, I think the last film I saw from him was The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. And, but this movie, I think more so gives me the vibes of, like, those revenge fantasy movies that he does. Yeah. Just like Django Unchained, especially more like Inglorious Bastards in a sense. Yeah, this is like more of a um, a fantasy of like a or what if story. What if they came to the wrong house and they got jacked up? You know, um, so I don't know. I, I I do think that there is a lot of um, what, what we say like what were we saying like a white man fantasy type of thing going on. And all of that being lived through and being shown through Cliff Booth. I mean, because, like, you know, I hadn't thought about it this way. I hadn't really thought about Django in so long. But it's hard not to, in in retrospect, with, with the time we've had away from it, go back and look at that movie and I go, well, I mean, obviously, black person's fantasy of how things could have gone if we had, like, a black cowboy here going around and freeing people. Right. He was you like... Know, Almost, he was almost like um, Tarantino's superhero, black superhero. But he also had this feel of like a, um, what do you call it, a, a black exploitation character. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I was thinking about Cliff earlier today was, yeah. in a way, he, he feels like the white version of a black exploitation character. But then again, mm-hmm. is, he, is he just that or he's just your average white male character in the film? No, we. I, so I would say in this universe of the film, this, Cliff is the only dude like Cliff, right? Like, ain't nobody that's going to be talking shit to Bruce Lee, you know, and then getting away with it. Or kill his wife and get away with it. Right. Well, so, and, and so I think that's the only thing in the movie, honestly, I feel like was... I've, t- I've taken time to think about it. I've seen people have complaints about that moment. And I'm not saying this to make it fine or to or to dismiss it. But again, since I, I don't take the reality of how events happen very seriously, 
I feel like if you took it like this is some dude who's looking at it like this is my world, this is how I envision it, this is how I interpret it, they would see it in a flippant manner, you know? Um, not that anybody killing their spouse would be cool or fine or worthy of a joke, but that's how this person would kind of view it. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of did it messing around. I didn't mean to kill her, you know, and making kind of fun of it. And like, oh, you mean, you know, you know I'm still safe. You hire me for whatever. Like, it's it's not a big deal. Who who wouldn't want me on board? I'll work hard. I mean, I killed my wife and got away with it, but. This might support my possible reading of this. And I'm I'm not sure how I read this movie. Let me be super clear. But this might support the reading that this is a movie that's kind of a response to social media justice warriors, as Neil Brennan likes to call them. Um, This is a guy who couldn't be more toxic by the standards of 2019. I mean, he possibly killed his wife. He beats up an Asian guy who is kind of everyone's hero. I mean, who is like a revered figure. Um, He goes through doing whatever the hell he wants, wherever he wants, all the time. Um, and gets away with all of it. I mean, he is kind of like a nightmare figure. If he, if he was running for president now, he would not be doing that well. Um, um, okay, sure? I know what you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> we, we are in the Tarantino verse for let that. Me, let me strike that. Let me strike that, now, that whole part. But he would not be popular <laughs> on Twitter. He would not be... He would, he would be considered very problematic to use the modern parlance, right? So okay. I don't know what the idea is here in making him the hero. Like, what is Tarantino trying to say by making him the hero? And I think there have been a couple of different movies where he triangulates by, he has these characters, he has these heroes who are kind of like scary or threatening dudes. I mean, the Inglorious Bastards, we have the Bear Jew who kills people with bats, played by Eli Roth. Um, In some movies, he'd be a not good guy because he's swinging a bat, except the people he's killing are Nazis. So we all love him, Mm -hmm. you know? And Django, like, Django is shooting people left and right, but the people he's killing are slaveholders, so we love okay, him. So is there a protagonist in the uh, Tarantino um, set of films that we can think of who is not a pretty violent person? Jackie Brown. Okay, that's one. That gotta be it. I, <laughs> I'm rooting hard for The Bride. I mean, I think Beatrix Potter is a very... Um, I'm sorry, Beatrix Kiddo. <laughs> I think <laughs> Beatrix Kiddo is a very sympathetic figure, even though she used to be an assassin. Used to be. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but she kills like over 500 people in, <laughs> in the course of I mean, like, murder folks. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, it's a trope in his films, period. And the thing is, Rick Dalton kills, but, you know, it's fake killing. Yeah. Uh, and well, I was gonna say Cliff does it for self defense, but I, I can't say killing your wife and because she annoys you with self defense. That'd be stupid. Um, I don't think Butch is a terrible guy. Um, in Pulp Fiction, there might be stuff I'm forgetting, but I think he's a basically <sighs> decent person. I think if I'm remembering right, and I think are we Chris, talking about are we talking about Bruce Willis? Bruce character? Willis, yeah. And if we're gonna uh-huh. count true romance, I think Christian Slater is a pretty. Christian Slater and Alabama are both very lovable characters. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, sure, sure, sure. We'll throw them in there. Um, you know, let's, let's take a moment actually to, to talk about, uh, cause we, we, um, I, I, I want to 
definitely come back to the acting as a whole from from uh, you know particularly uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Let's take a moment though to talk about the uh, depiction of Bruce Lee. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we've been talking a, a bit about just kind of the portrayals of history and this and that. Look, I, I'm I'm a a fan of, of martial arts period. I you know I grew up on Bruce Lee films and you know Jackie Chan and all kind of people. Um, I I gotta say, because um, I mean apart from the films, Bruce Lee was a dude you wasn't not gonna mess with. Period at all yeah. in, in any circumstance. But he also wasn't a blowhard, so it was uh, a little jarring to see him picking a fight, uh, period, but also picking a fight with a stuntman. That was kind of weird. Um, it didn't, like, ruin my movie experience, but, like... Yeah, um, I talked to Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter, this week for a story for The Rap that people can check out if they want to Google The Rap, one word, Shannon Lee. And she's really sad about the portrayal. Um, she was really disappointed in it, and she said that when she saw it in a theater, it felt like people were laughing at her father. And she said that her father was absolutely not a blowhard and absolutely not arrogant, and the movie portrays him as this arrogant, as she put it, arrogant asshole um, who would go out and pick fights. And she said that's absolutely not the case, and in truth, and this is absolutely true, her father had to work much, much harder than any of the other characters portrayed in the film because he's an Asian man in Hollywood when there are no Asian leading men. And nobody wants to give him a chance. And he's getting passed over for roles all the time, even though he is the seafood of the stars. Um, seafood, I'm saying seafood, S-I-F-U, not seafood. He is the sort of trainer to the stars, including uh, Roman Polanski, including Sharon Tate, including Steve McQueen, teaching them all martial arts. He is a, a, an incredible figure walking among them, and yet he's treated like a secondary like he's not at their level simply because he's Asian. And I, I think what's even worse about it is that we don't have too many depictions of Bruce Lee in film. Yeah, that's what sucks. I mean, he's you can judge him by the characters he plays in the films, but those are characters. And to get to see, when you get to see the real Bruce Lee, I mean, if you go on YouTube and look for the Like Water speech where he talks about how we should be like water, it's beautiful. Like his philosophy is, a, is not just a fighting philosophy, but a life philosophy. And, I mean, Shannon has dedicated a lot of time to carrying on her father's legacy and making sure people understand the philosophy behind the fighting. And you can go to BruceLee.com. You can go to BruceLeeFoundation.com. Uh, she has a podcast, the Bruce Lee Podcast, where she talks about that. And I think she really felt that this was a lost opportunity, the way that the movie kind of, in her mind, played him for laughs. I mean, but so I guess what's weird is you can have Cliff run up on Bruce Lee and you know try his might and not like be embarrassed or anything but like you don't have to have him throwing Bruce Lee into a car and making him look like a fool and talking shit about Muhammad Ali you can do things because like oh. I'm a person who watches comic books and anime plenty there are plenty of things where you power scale where there's a person who is way more powerful than the other person and they're not out there to embarrass the person, but they let them kind of do their thing. But it's clear, like, all right, if they really wanted to, they could mess them up. 
Al Pacino explains the concept of you use like a familiar heavy and have that heavy get defeated, and then that raises the the audience's esteem for the person who beat him or fought him to a standstill. And then they do the exact same thing with Bruce Lee. And I thought that was, you know, obviously very intentional on Tarantino's part. But um, is that respectful to the memory of Bruce Lee, who is no, because it the thing Bruce Lee was revered globally by martial artists and he was he was revered as a figure that was almost beyond comprehension like we don't even have to say like bruce lee was great like go look up any bruce lee fight it speaks for itself like he's absolutely (laughs) incredible even even just as an actor he was ridiculous but like beyond the acting yeah he was revered by actual martial artist period and he could do things that they could not replicate period and the genius and so of, that's why it feels weird yeah so it's like is it supposed does tarantino intend that to be so ridiculous the idea that brad pitt could beat up bruce lee or that cliff booth could beat up bruce lee that we're supposed to realize okay this guy's out of his mind like do not trust anything cliff booth says from now on including the ending of this movie so, so imagine the situation where you do the exact same scene. You do, you do, Bruce Lee drop kicks him. Yeah. Bruce Lee gets knocked into a car, and then Cliff Booth tries to hit him and literally just can't. Yeah. Like you could do the same thing, and it still comes off a badass for Cliff. Still does. But instead, you got to make it look like he can he can spar with him. It looks strange. It just does. I I don't want to spend forever talking about it, but like. There is something important about how you depict legends, particularly legends that don't always get a chance to shine on screen. And it'll resonate in a way that it might not because this is one of the only depictions we'll see of him for quite some time, perhaps. And and so I wish there was just more caretaking. I mean, you, you can have the badass character, but you can all, always showcase that there is a plateau that they cannot reach. And they still be a badass, right? It's always a thing. Yeah. So I, I just think we have to keep that in mind. It don't serve a purpose at all. And that's yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't really serve. You can take it, you can take that scene out in the movie would have still told the same story without a story that it just told. So yeah, what's like, the point even having Bruce Lee there? I mean, yeah, he he taught Sharon Tate a few things, but like, <clears throat> it doesn't do anything to move the plot and Bruce Lee isn't even given a chance to say anything after the fact. Oh dude, how dare you say he only taught Sharon Tate a few things. He taught he taught completely amateur actors to fight kung fu all the time. I mean, he's not only an amazing martial artist, he's an amazing teacher. Shame on you. No, I'm kidding. But shame he's, sticker. He's, shame. But he's but he's, incre- <laughs> but he's I, we could spend the whole podcast talking about how great Bruce Lee is with no problem. Hey, can can we talk about how great uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is for a minute? We've spent like we've talked about a lot of this movie and not really gone into his his performance. And I really would like to spend at least a few minutes appreciating the amazing fucking work he did. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah. all, I, I liked all Ooh. the acting in this movie a lot. I, I did. thought it was very I good. Did. Yeah, but whew, that was <laughs> out, man. I I I I felt the you know like you know somebody shoots the gun the smoke coming off like that's how I felt watching this performance this whole time he was ridiculous <laughs> in this movie man like I mean I'm I'm somebody who appreciates you know his performances in general but like I really felt like he just knocked out the park in this one yeah I agree 
I don't know, Keith. How, how did you feel about the the uh, stuff you saw from from his performance in this movie? Caprio. Yeah. Man, it was just as good as um. I remember his performance in um, Django as Candy. Oh yeah, you know I ain't gonna lie. I kind of forgot he was in that movie, and and not like because I forgot he was in there, but like it's like as soon as you remind me again, I'm like man, he crushed that shit too. Yeah, I feel like um that scene with um and Django where he had Kerry Washington and he had that skull, man, skull on the table, giving that speech. That was probably like one of the best things I ever seen DiCaprio do in his life. That was one of the best things I see ever seen an actor do. The next scene, I, I think the scene that really, I don't know, he had a lot of scenes that stood out to me in Once Upon a Time in um, Hollywood, but the one that I really liked was when, after he had um, botched that one, like that whole part where he was where he was messing up his lines, yeah, it made me feel anxious. And Man, then that was really cool how they shot that, too. When he went back to his trailer and he went off on himself, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I just really felt that, like, it was... I don't know, yeah, he's always been an amazing actor. I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting to see an actor play an actor. Mm-hmm. And then especially yeah. when you know that the actor that he's playing is not even on the same caliber as the actual actor that's playing him. But that's the thing, to be the actor playing the actor, to be able to do that means he got to be that cold. Yeah, we, yeah, pretty much, you know. Because, I mean, you can, yeah. and then he also showed the, the things that that particular actor struggled with, you know. And and, and, how, and and it also makes you wonder if he actually struggled with that in his past. It was another thing I thought that was interesting about Rick Dalton was that it seemed like everybody else in Hollywood, the people that were the most successful in Hollywood, they really weren't doing shit, you know? Or you don't mm-hmm. see doing anything. Like, when you see him at home working on his lines, you got Sharon Tate and Polanski going to a party at the Playboy Mansion with Steve McQueen and all of them. You do. They do show. I did appreciate that they showed Sharon though working out with Bruce Lee, which is no joke. That was pretty cool. That was cool. But for the most part, I, I felt like you saw the work ethic that um, Rick Dalton had. But yeah, also, his recorder. Yeah, and he also, but he also had a lot of insecurities in himself. Um, yeah, he did. He did care about his craft, but you know, he. The the one thing I do like, from a story standpoint, I, I kind of wish we understood why he was broken. You know that that's the one thing that that I feel like we didn't get to see. Like in this, even in this long cut, we don't get to see what makes him feel like he he is a broken person or how he got to that stage. Um, also, Brad Pitt, um, man, yeah, whew. How many people could do what he did in this movie? Do you guys think? I mean, also being like 55 years old, that dude is in ridiculous shape. Jesus. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Just he 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 sees a talent, man. It's so cool. I love I love watching these guys being able to reach back and, and like pull off these vintage things. It's really amazing. Yeah, those dudes in Margot Robbie Robbie are movie stars for a reason. Yeah, let's let's give her a shout out too, man. She was amazing, and you know, I, look, I know people complain she didn't get to do a whole lot, um, and and she didn't have a full character arc and, and stuff like that. But I thought that she still was impactful with the time she had on screen. I thought so too, and you really did kind of revere her by the end of it. And I know that there's a criticism that, you know, she's up on a pedestal and isn't really a fully, not a very fully dimensional person, 
But also, when you're talking about a violent murder victim, like, you have to treat that person with, like, a lot of respect. And I don't think he could show, like, her flaws if they if they exist. Mm. Um, because just imagine the blowback for that. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's a no-win situation, honestly. <laughs> I, I, think he did, I think he made the right move in the way that he really kind of did revere her. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I mean... I appreciate it. These things are so sudden. That's why I say it feels like more character work than plot, than plot work, where she goes into the theater. I mean, like, so she goes out. She She's out there to get her husband a book. She oh. crosses the street. Oh, snap. Can I recommend uh, another story on the route? Uh, Trey huh? Williams, T-R-E-Y Williams, wrote a really good story about why that book is so important to the movie. Oh, okay. Kind of blew my mind. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I had to check that out. And, um, yeah, I mean, so for her to, to get her husband a book to go across the street, oh, you know, like, she's just having a normal day. And then she's like, oh, you know, there's a, oh, the theater's playing the movie I'm in. Like, all right, let me check it out. And it was cool to, like, just kind of, for her to to see her have that experience with fame and then kind of sneak in and then appreciate that people were enjoying her performance on screen. I mean, I imagine that's got to be so amazing to like as an actor be able to sneak in and see candid uh, reactions to y- your performance. I mean that that has to be amazing. And so um, we don't we don't get to see a lot of that all the time. That got to be the most boringest part of the movie for me though. Mm-hmm. And, but, but once again, it's coming in not knowing anything about sharing tape. Yeah. So yeah, I, like, yeah. This, this serves no purpose for me. Wow. <laughs> Like, if I was watching this late at night, I would have fell asleep on that part. And then, like, woke up somewhere when Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio showed back up. And I guess for me, I I couldn't really appreciate her character that much. I don't feel like she did much of anything. Um, I guess the only thing I kind of felt like towards the end was, like, once again, this not knowing anything about Sharon Tate. That towards the end, when he got invited up to the house, it's like he finally may have that chance to be in the type of movies that he wants to be in. Because mm-hmm. he can make the connection, be with these people, be with Roman Polanski and stuff like that. But I also, <clears throat> I don't know much about Hollywood, but um, I feel like there's something to be said about their attitudes towards each other and people outside of that life, right? Do you mean when you say outside of that life? Do you mean particular circles within? Because yeah, like I'm not, I'm not I'm not gonna claim to know how Hollywood functions, but I you know I do know that networking is important. I mean, they might call it by another name, but really who you know, who you know it matters. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about just how he how he was when it came to people in general. Like like for example, like even with the Manson with the Manson kids, or just every time he saw hippies, he had something negative to say about them. And or I don't Mexicans. Know that was just, huh? Or Mexicans. Or Mexicans, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know if that's also something to say about people who who feel like they're all the way up here and how they feel like nobody else really belongs in this world and they just taking up the breath that they, the air that they breathe. Or um, because, even- I, but I, th- I think that's kind of speaking to the times too. Like even how the, the the hippies are like, you know, fuck the pigs and all that. And I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's just a different era. People are hitchhiking everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, 
the, I, the scene, the way the world functions, and I don't even just mean as a universe. I just mean like the real world itself, the the attitudes people have, and the in the different demographics who had certain attitudes towards the state and entertainment and wealth and all that it was just so different. You know, yeah, and I, it's like a more open world in a way, maybe because you can't hide behind your computer and you have to go out and mix it up with people and like people just picking up strangers and driving around with them for a long time. It's just such a weird concept. I guess we do it now with like Ubers and Lyfts and stuff. And, and yeah, isn't that interesting? Like we don't we don't look at it as strange, but we get in cars with strange people all the time now. Dude, after Trump got elected, I would take Uber the Uber pool, and mm-hmm. there were some lively conversations in Uber pool. Like it was it was fascinating. I mean, you would just meet everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. You were doing that in in, in Cali. <laughs> 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 Keith, I know you said you don't feel like this is one of Tarantino's str- stronger films. Um, if you were judging it just as it, you know, outside of Tarantino's um, kind of sphere, how would how would you view it in, in kind of in, in the pantheon of movies from from 2019? Do you feel like it's one of the stronger films of the year so far, or like it it really isn't going to stand out for you too much? I can't really say it because it's hard to say to compare like what movies in 2019 when the majority of the big blockbuster films are superhero films and shit. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I appreciate this movie in the aspect of not being um what 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 people normally go run to the movies to go see because that the movies that I went to was packed. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of shocked because I'm so used to going to see a Disney movie or a Marvel movie and that being packed. And and having an understanding of why those movies are packed. But then seeing this Tarantino film, and I'm like, dang, people really appreciate his work. Um, but I do think if it wasn't a Tarantino film, so many people wouldn't be in there watching it. And mm-hmm. and I I think that the way that Tarantino tells stories is very interesting. Um, but it's more to me, it's more like a I sit at home, you know, watch a movie type of thing, not like go to the film, not go to the theater and watch. So, but I think overall, I mean, I love his movies, you know. They're like watching westerns. And I even like that there's the western theme throughout the movie with Rick Dalton's films. Yeah. It's just, to me, I just don't think that movie has a replay quality. That's my only thing about it. I think it's a great movie, but I can't see myself watching it again like next week or something. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm interested in watching it again, except it's just so long, though. Oh, my God, man. They really could have cut some stuff out. Yeah, uh, a trimming effect that could have been done. Uh, there's so many things to like. Um, there's so much I feel like we didn't even get to. Hey, man, we need, I don't even know the dog name. Shout out to the dog. Uh, my favorite side character of the, mil- of the movie. Uh, that was pretty funny. Second, uh, second uh, best dog of the year uh, after John Wick 3. I think John Wick 3 had some very strong dogs, too. You know what? I'm giving oh, it man. to this I dog. I haven't seen John Wick 3. I'm giving it to this dog. This dog wins. This dog had more screen time. <laughs> dog of the year. <laughs> I think the dog's name is... I want to say Daisy. I don't know why I think that. All I know is... Ah, oh, so good. It's sick of people. It's so good. Um, it's beautiful. Um, but I don't. I can see myself watching this movie again. I mean, I think... I, I'm. I'm... 
somebody who spends or has spent not as much now, but I used to spend a lot of time around uh, creatives in, in theater and film who muse so much about their experiences that it, it so many things about the the film spoke to me. I don't think it's for every audience. And, and you know, Keith, you being a director, I know there's some things about actors you're like, ah, whatever, forget what, what the actor thinks. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I really, I, I can see myself seeing watching it again. Um, I definitely uh, wish I had known the runtime ahead ahead of uh, going to the theater. But um, yeah, I mean, it, there were things about it that had I known the whole Sharon Tate thing, that would have changed how I looked at it. And I wish we had gotten some more time with the more dangerous parts of the film. Not necessarily because of the violence. There were actually moments of tension where I thought things were going to go down a little earlier, like at the ranch. Yeah. Um, that were really impactful. Um, and, and I didn't know, you know, who Cliff Booth was and, you know, does he get taken out of here? And, oh, George is there, whatever. Um, I think there were some things they could have uh, sparked up a little bit to create some earlier tension. But, you know, overall, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I can at least say. I um, I was gonna say one more thing real quick about it mm-hmm. uh, that I forgot to mention is I was listening to this interview with Quentin Tarantino and he said that he has no deeper meaning for having violence in his film. He just liked violence, like he <laughs> makes violence for violence' sake. But he said he's not a violent person, but he feels like he can be as violent as he wants to through film. And I can kind of relate to him on that. Yeah. But it also, but for me, I remember, so when I seen the scene, I remember bursting out laughing. And I don't just burst out. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Knew <laughs> the way he did it. I knew that Brad Pitt was going to throw that can of dog food in that man's face. In that girl's face, I mean. I seen it coming before it happened. So it was just hilarious to me. But after all of this happened, after he didn't beat the girl head into, you know, into a brick wall and the dog and bit this guy's um, thing off, I was thinking to myself, like, damn, we really are desynthesized towards violence. Yep, I thought that, too, watching it, actually. I and, really did. And I think that, I think that's, in a way, like, a lot of times Tarantino's point, you know? Like, he gonna display violence to us in this type of way to, to show that, like, deep down inside, we like that shit. I think that's true, but I think he he's also really saying like there's a difference between like you said, violence in real life and violence on film. Yeah, violence, yeah. Because if you look at Django, like the real violence, the real slavery violence is completely honest. Like the way he depicts that, he doesn't pull punches or try to be exploitative. But the Django's Revenge is extremely cartoonish and extremely over the top, and that's cinema violence. In that film especially, I think he makes a strong differentiation between the real violence in history and in real life and screen violence. And I think he thinks it's kind of anything goes in terms of screen violence. Because cinema is pure and cinema should be protected and allowed to do whatever it wants to do. But I, I don't have the the retort ready. Um, I, I don't. I do think choosing to depict violence differently is um, intentional. Um, and when you speak to how Django does it, I mean, there there's certainly a certain intent, but it doesn't change the outcome of what that violence um, results in. Right. V- violence can, can be 
for some people, you know, that vengeance can can bring a kind of joy. He he puts the argument out there, allows the argument argument to be present that violence on screen is eroding our our morality in some way. He does allow that to be present, and he does allow the Manson kids to say this. So I don't think that he he runs from the idea that that violence can have some additional darker overall impact on society. Um, continuing to have that sort of flipping attitude towards violence in, you know, like the way that we constantly show things. Even like the other day, I was just watching some cartoons with with my two-year-old son and like every Looney Tunes thing has guns everywhere. Just guns, guns, guns. Just Buzz Bunny blowing, you know, or Elmer Fudd blowing people's heads off and going after Daffy and Bugs and, you know, Wiley Coyote got, you know, dynamite. I'm like, man, this shit is violent as hell. And I really hadn't really watched it as an adult adult in a while. And I'm like, this is like weapons just all over the place now. I mean, it's, it's kitty because people aren't dying, but it's like crazy violent like all over the place and i i don't know like there, there's something to it and I, I i don't have a fully formed thought on it i think the fact that he puts the argument that tv causes violence in the mouths of the least likable people in the entire movie i think that's telling i think that's a deliberate choice he doesn't have mm-hmm. sharon tate make that point he has complete assholes make that point mm-hmm. and it's i i think he's kind of making fun of that idea but i don't know i don't want to speak for him um, but my read of it is that I think he thinks movies are movies and they're different from real life. I think that's true. Yeah. So if you do believe in what they believe in, then you might deserve to die then, right? <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. Metaphorically. <laughs> Metaphorically, you're, you're an idiot, so die. So that's... <laughs> well, I mean, if if you... Well, okay, it's one... I think if you think that and then you use that as an excuse to act out violence against others, then you're an idiot and you deserve to metaphorically die. Yeah. Would be the point of the film in this case. Um, any other closing thoughts? <laughs> I, I appreciate him getting people into movie theaters to watch a real movie um, with original characters. And I think I've thought more about this movie than any other, other movie this year. And that's a huge accomplishment. Um, I have, I'm still wrestling with my feelings and what I ultimately think of it, but um, I appreciate a lot that he made it. Definitely. I agree. Right. And I also think, even go back to what I said, I think, honestly, I will appreciate it more after watching a couple of other Quentin Tarantino movies, because like I said, the last movie I saw was The Hateful Eight. And I think the thing about his body of work is that you appreciate one you you I think I think it's easy to go back and watch some of his stuff and then start watching something else and start to appreciate everything as a whole. Um, almost as if he's creating these characters to live and coexist in his own little world that he created. Um mm-hmm. so I don't know. I might go back to watching it after I see Pulp Fiction or something. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it, it it's the Tarantino circle. It's like uh I don't know, you can't... What is it in, in uh, season one of uh, True Detective? What did they say? Uh, Matthew McConaughey's character? Thomas of Flat Circle. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a flat circle. 
you know, I hate we didn't do True Detective season three. I still haven't watched <laughs> it all the way through yet. But yeah, at some point, I'm gonna have to jump on that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll we'll close here. Uh, if you've made it this far, please, 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 you know you enjoyed it. You really like this podcast. You get at John a five star review. Share with at least one friend. Let them know you enjoyed the pod that we had this amazing discussion, the best discussion on the internet you can find on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I might be saying some something hyperbolic here, but nope. you know, share, nope. share it. No, no, no. I'm no. I'm telling no lies. I so, agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Follow us on uh, on Instagram, Keith. What, what's that Instagram account, sir? The Low Key Pod. Boom, just like that. Um, also. So please, please, please give a listen to Shoot This Now. They're doing some really fun, great stories over there on real stories that should be made in the movies. We did an episode on Bruce Lee. Yeah, that was pretty dope. That's that's one of our favorites. And uh, yeah, definitely check that out. It was really amazing. Um, we are going to be back next week with some dopeness. We're not sure what the heck we're going to do yet, but it's going to be something pretty cool. So we'll figure it out. And, you know, maybe, maybe we'll be able to do a recording with uh, me and Tim Local coming up here. That'd be pretty awesome. In Nashville, Tennessee. And one more thing. Definitely check out the Meanwhile in the Multiverse pod with Keith and Aaron and none of me. It's 33% better for my not being there. Um, very <laughs> thoughtful stuff. Very interesting. And it also hasn't been updated in like, hell, I don't know, a while. It does some good stuff. There's some really good stuff There's there. some really good stuff there. Yeah, especially that Get Out review. Somebody else recommended that recently, and it's been getting some traffic again, which is weird. But um, nice. anyway, hey, we appreciate you guys making it this far. Thank you so much for taking this journey with us, and we'll see you all on the next one. Peace. Peace. All right.